You are Locked On Jets, your daily podcast on the New York Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jets. It is Thursday, September 6th, 2018, and I'm John B. from gangreennation.com. If you enjoy this show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, and we'll deliver the show to your device each day as it's posted. And if you really enjoy the show, give it a good review in iTunes. Well, the NFL season kicks off tonight after a long spring and summer of waiting. The Philadelphia Eagles and Atlanta Falcons play the opener, and it's a rematch of a divisional playoff game from last year that will not be remembered as the best-played game in NFL history. I mean, it was the quality of play was not that great, and there was bad weather. That had something to do with it, but you know, not, not exactly the type of game that will be remembered through the ages, except maybe in Philadelphia, because it kind of set the Eagles on their path to winning the Super Bowl. And, of course, the game came down to the uh, series on the goal line where Atlanta had a lot of questionable play calls. So we'll have to wait a few more days for the Jets. We'll have to wait longer than the fans of almost any other team because the Jets, of course, play Monday night at Detroit. So we'll have more on that in the days ahead. Of course, we spoke with Matt Derry yesterday of Locked On Lions, so if you want to get a little preview of that game, you can listen to yesterday's show, and we'll have some more more on Monday on game day itself. But today, since it's Thursday, we'll do the mailbag show. These are questions that have been both emailed to me and sent through the comment section of gangreennation.com. And I'll tell you, boy, guys, I thought I was negative in that preview yesterday with Matt Derry. I mean, geez, you people are writing in questions about what do we do after everybody gets fired? So let's jump right in. And the first question is from a listener named Taylor. Hey, John, who would you say would be the next head coach of the Jets? Todd's running out of time. Jim Bob Cooter, Dan Campbell. Oh, man, Taylor. I mean, it's can we get through the season, man? I mean, you're already giving up on bowls? I, you know, I think it's tough to say. Even if even, you know, I'll play along, even if I'm going to agree that Bowles is finished after this year, which I do not agree at this point, talk to me, you know, in a few months, maybe I'll feel differently. We have to play the season out though, because the next hot guy might be somebody who's off the radar right now. You know, you don't, you don't. I mean, this time last year was Frank Reich really a hot name, and then the Eagles have all that success, and suddenly, you know, he gets a head coaching job with the Indianapolis Colts. So. You know, we, we need to see how this season plays out. The guys who seem hot right now may not have a great year. And the guys who, you know, there might be somebody from off the radar who suddenly becomes the big name. Here's what I'm going to say, though, and I think that this is important, is people, I think, get too focused on the idea of, well, they have to bring in an offensive guy. You know, that's where the league's heading. You want to bring in an offensive You're not bringing in an offensive coordinator. You're not bringing in a guy to run an offensive system. You want a head coach who can build a team, you know, a head coach who can manage a team. A guy who's going to hire quality assistants on both sides of the ball. You know, not just off, not just offense, not just defense. You want a guy who knows how to hire quality assistants, position coaches, who you know will be able to develop players. You want somebody who commands players' respect. You want somebody who's going to make good decisions in game because I think even Bowles' biggest fans would admit that is an area where he struggles. An area he's going to have to get better at. You know, if he doesn't get better at making in-game decisions, that's going to be a very difficult thing for him to overcome. You know, and it does happen. Some, you know, look, he, it's easy to forget that the guy is a first-time head coach. So th- a lot of these things, a lot of these responsibilities are new to him. So I, I don't want to, you know, I think we're past the point where we can excuse it now that we're in year four. But 
you know, it, you, it is possible to get better at making in-game decisions once you get more get more experience as a head coach. But these are the things you're looking for. Will a guy be able to delegate properly? You know, when you're a head coach, there are certain things you just have to pass off to your subordinates. You know, you maybe maybe you can't be as involved in the game plan as you want. Now, some guys are involved in the game plan on their side of the ball, but sometimes you, you can't be. But I think people just get too, too focused on, when it comes to head coaches, they focus on the traits that make a good coordinator. You know, the... We're talking about the system that they're going to implement, the offensive system. Uh, you know, how, how good are they at developing? Well, look, developing a quarterback is an important thing, but the head coach doesn't always need to be hands-on. He needs to be able to bring in good people, surround him, you know, surround himself with good people. You know, people talk about Sean McVay. Well, first of all, let's see what Sean McVay does this year. Lots of expectations this year. Lots of guys come in, do great their first year. And then year two, things kind of hit the skids. And that's no that's no great shock because most people who are hired as a head coach in the NFL have had the have had an idea in their mind for a few years. You know, they they it's, they're they're not hired the first second they think I may be a head coach, I want to be a head coach. They sit around for years and think about what they're you know, they come up with a plan that they're gonna implement once they arrive in a head coaching position. You get in and usually it's a well thought out plan, so lots of guys do well in their first year. Year two, the league starts to adjust to you. You know, you don't sneak up on as many people as you may have your first year. The rest of the league has a, has a library of film on you. They adjust. Maybe things don't go so well. Then we find out how good you are. Can you deal with adversity? Can you adjust to the league's adjustments? Those are things that sometimes trick trip up certain coaches. And you look at, you think of recent Jets history, Eric Mangini, good example. Good, great first year. Did not follow it up very well you know a more recent example in new york ben mcadoo went to the playoffs his first year had to be fired before the end of last season had to be i mean they didn't have a choice he was so bad he was in so far over his this was a guy who went to the playoffs his first year who had a very qual a high end high quality first season so you know you talk about sean mcveigh let's see what he does in year two but the other thing about sean mcveigh is it, it was it's not just his yes he brings offensive prowess to the table but he also he also brought in Wade Phillips to run his defense, which showed you you know it showed you a lot. It showed you you know the ability to hire good people, the ability the ability to delegate, the ability to compensate for your weakness. These are the things that are important in a head coach. You want somebody who can build who can build a program. It's not just always whether it's offense or defense. And everybody's focused on offense because the Jets have gone defense so frequently because it's a league where the passing game is important because the Jets have struggled to develop a quarterback. The Jets have struggled in their passing game in recent years. So I think these are things that contribute to people focusing on, uh, they, they act like it needs to be an offensive guy. It doesn't need to be an offensive guy. You know, you look at look at some of the most successful coaches in the league. Bill Belichick, defensive background. Pete Carroll, defensive background. I mean, it, it, there are plenty of coaches. Mike Tomlin, if you're looking in Pittsburgh, they've had a lot of success. I know people are, you know, people... Some people don't love Tomlin, but the Steelers have had a lot of success with him. Defensive background. It's not impossible to develop a quarterback with a head coach with a defensive background. The head coach, his job is to run the run the overall. He's the CEO. His job is to run the overall operation. Now, look, there are some guys who are really good play callers, some guys who are really good at designing an offense, and that's an attribute they bring to the head coaching position. But that alone does not make them great head coaches. It's more about running the team, being able to delegate, bring, surrounding yourself with good people. These are the things I'd look for in a head coach. Um, so that's, that's what I'd say. And we'll find out over the course of the season, you know, which potential candidates will bring those things to the table. So thank, thank Taylor, my, my goodness, the pessimism, but that, thank you for the question. That, that's kind of where my head is at right now. You know, as I mentioned, the NFL season kicks off tonight and my bookie has in-game betting, live betting, 
the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join me now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. Visit mybookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot com, and use promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Keeping up the positive thinking of our listeners, we have a question. What does it take for Mike McCagden to be fired? I guess we talked about replacing Todd Bowles. Now we'll talk about Mike McCagden as we continue on this positive edition of Locked on Jets, the, uh, the, the mailbag edition, heading into a week one. Does McCagden get a pass this year because he drafted Darnold? Would 6-10 and 10 mean he's fired? Even a somewhat better head coach may not make a difference with this roster. Mac has been here four years, and other than getting a quarterback, he has not improved the roster over what it was. If Mac has a so-so draft in 2019, would that get him fired? Well, I don't think he'd get, he'd get fired right after the draft, so I think it would be indirectly a bad draft might lead to bad results. But you know, to, to answer your question, I don't think McCagnan's a lock to return in 2019. Now, what one thing I'd say is that I think up to this point, he and Bowles have kind of been tied at the hip. I don't, I'm not sure that's necessarily the case anymore. I think that there's a scenario where McCagnan stays and Bowles goes. Now, in terms of what does it take for McCagnan to get fired, I think, first of all, I don't see how this team can bring him back. I don't know what the te- what's, the, what's in the team's head, so I'll just tell you what I, what I would think if I was the owner. If, he, this, if this team goes 5-11 and 11 or worse, I mean, I don't see how you bring him back. How do you bring back a, a regime that back-to-back-to-back 5-11 and 11 years? You know, this is... and. People like some people will give McCagnan a mulligan for the first two years because he messed them up so badly. I know they had the good first year in 2015. I mean, this is year four, and you should not have three five win seasons by the time you're in year four. And for those three five win seasons to be two year two, year three, year four, that would be pretty bad. I, I just don't see how you can bring somebody back under those circumstances. Now, the other thing I'd say, the other scenario is let's say Sam Darnold has a disappointing rookie year and or gets hurt, and a lot of it goes on the offensive line. I think that that's something that would make it very tough for me, if I'm the owner, to bring Mike McCagnin back. You know, you look, you you have so much tied up in Darnold. You've had four years to build this thing up. Again, this is not year two. People like to kind of forget those first two years. This is year four. You've had four years to build this offensive lineup, and my prized asset is you know, either underperforming or taking a lot of hits because of that, because of this offensive line. I think those are the two things I would look at that, you know, my, that would be very, those two things, would, those two scenarios would be very ominous. And they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think there's a possibility if one happens, it's the result of the other. And I mean, that's the other thing when you talk about going five and 11, you know, you're telling me Darnold's this good. And I understand he's a rookie. I understand he's not Aaron Rodgers this year, but this guy's this, if this guy's really this good, how can you not build a team around him that can win at least six games? And again, we're in year four. Year four. That's a very low bar. Win six games and have your quarterback not take a beating because your offensive line is too bad. That is an exceptionally low bar. So if you can't clear those, honestly, you deserve to go, and the Jets should be looking in a different direction. I don't think it's playoffs or bust. I think that I think that if the you know, I don't think the Jets are necessarily focused on making the playoffs, but if they can't have a disaster year. And I just don't think that, that, that this regime can survive that. Next question. Looking at preseason, would an in-season coaching change on special teams surprise you? Last three years, 25-32-25, according to PFF. Man, I mean, PFF rankings, you know, you can take them or leave them. But I, I don't think there's any question that this 
special teams unit has been an issue. It's been an issue. You go back to really Mike Westhoff's last year. The Jets have not had great special teams, and they had. It was bizarre. They had a they had a bad year. Westhoff's final season with the Jets. I'm not sure they're going to make a change in season just because it seems to be against the organization's philosophy. This organization just does not seem to like making changes in season. Now, does that go all the way down to the special teams coordinator? I don't know. But, I mean, I'm concerned about the special. I'm not sure how much of a difference changing coaches in season will be. Now, you look at Westhoff. He went to the Saints in the middle of the last season, and they immediately improved. I don't know that there's a guy of his stature out there this year, and that will bug me forever, the fact Mike Westhoff is coaching in the NFL again and it's not with the Jets. I don't know how that happened. I think, you know, ultimately this falls with the head coach. And, look, I think in a lot of ways Todd Bowles maybe takes a little too much heat for certain things. But, you know, you look at this special teams unit, and here's what I'd say. That first year he was here, the special teams unit was a disaster. And they fired Bobby April, who was the special teams coordinator. And I'll tell you something. Bobby April has had a long career in the NFL, and he's a very well-respected coach in the league. And he has a, he has a stature such that even though the special teams were a disaster the first year, you could have sold me on the idea, okay, let's give him another chance. He has a good rec- track record in the league. Maybe he'll turn it around the next year. They decided to fire him. That was justified. I don't have an issue with that. You know, that's fine. It was bad enough to, to justify that decision. You know, they could have gone either way. Then he brings in Brent Boyer, and things don't get better. Or if they get better, they only get incrementally better. And that's tough to figure out. And, the, I mean, the other thing you, you look at is why do the Jets keep changing offensive coordinators? You know, last year the offensive the offense did not underachieve. At the very least, it did not underachieve. And he was the one coordinator who got fired, John Morton. That's the one coordinator you fire. You don't fire the special teams guy, your hand-picked guy to fix the special teams after that first year with Bobby April. And let's not even talk about the defensive coordinator, who's, you know, Bowles' friend, who that defense has not performed that well in Bowles' entire time here, and he's gotten a free pass the full time. So, you know, I think that some of this has to fall on Bowles, and I'm not sure that it's necessarily going to be fixed in season. Um, I don't know who you're going to get in season. I think that's the problem is who are you going to – is there another Westhoff out there and I don't know why the Jets. I mean, Westhoff is a Jet, and it will bother, it will baffle me and frustrate me. To, if baffles me and frustrates me to no end that he's with another team, why didn't you know? Why didn't he end up with the Jets? That's my question when it comes to the you know when it comes to special teams. Next question: With the NFL keying on helmets and guys going high on tackles, do you think there might be a rise in lower body injuries due to the enforcing of the rule, particularly knee injuries? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that that's probably the direction we're heading because guys are going to start. I think you'll see a lot of guys starting to aim lower. And you know, it's something the league has to figure out because obviously the league has a big issue with all the head injuries that uh, take place. I think that when I, when I look at the way, the way these penalties are being called in preseason, I think back to past years, and it always goes this way, it seems, that there's always some rule that the NFL emphasizes and they overcall it in preseason. Everybody goes crazy, and the fans talk about how the league is going to be ruined, and maybe it even carries into the first few weeks of the regular season. And then, you know, the players adjust a little bit, players figure out what they have to do, and the officials back off a little bit, and it's not the end of the world. So I don't. So I think that's probably what's going to happen with you know the way these penalties are being called in preseason. Now we're, I've, seen, I've seen this script too many times. I know how it goes. It's and we're following the exact same script. It's the end of the world now. They're they're calling this too frequently. Football, as we know, it's over. 
And then, you know, and it'll continue into the first few weeks of the regular season. And then both sides will adjust. The officials will back off a little bit. The players will get a little smarter with how they play. So, yeah, I, I do worry about lower body injuries a little bit. And, you know, I think back to Dustin Keller a few years ago, who really, his career was destroyed after he left the Jets. He went to Miami. And I remember, I think he may have been the one to say it. I, don't quote me on it. I think he may have mentioned how, you know, there's an emphasis on that, that, that emphasis on uh, not hitting guys in the head maybe is leading to more lower body injury. So I think it is something to be cognizant of, but I don't know what the answer is. Cause I mean, the league does have to do something about shots to the head, you know? And the other thing I say is that, you know, people talk about how the game's being ruined because, you know, it's not like the old day. Well, you know what? Times change. You know, we, we now know things that we didn't know decades ago. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, you, you, people will say that people will say, well, I, I you know, I like the hard hitting football. Well, that'll end the second, you know, Robbie Anderson and Quincy Inunua. If the league if the league allows headshots again, Robbie Anderson and Quincy Inunua get injured on back-to-back plays due to cheap shots of the head, people will change their tune pretty quickly on that. You know, I go back to the, the hockey playoffs this year, and it really ruined the experience. By, there was Washington Capitals have this guy, Tom Wilson, who's just like the biggest cheap shot artist there is, and it really ruined a lot of the experience watching the playoffs for me just because this guy's going around trying to hurt people. He's throwing cheap shots left and right. That's not what you want in the NFL. So, you know, I, I think that things will, you know, eventually find, I think they'll, they'll find a better equilibrium than what we've seen in preseason. I think part of it is officials are being told to, I, I feel like officials get told to overcall these things to try and make the players adjust. So the players get the message. I think the league will find a better equilibrium, but look, I mean, if it's going to mean low, more lower body hits and that could potentially mean lower, lower body injuries. And I don't know what the answer is because again, the league does have to do something about, you know, the shots to the head that league can't continue the way it's the way it has been carrying on. So next question, what jets Jersey did you wear as a kid? I got a Keyshawn jersey for Christmas 97, and it was right before the end of the 97 season. Then 98, they changed their uniforms to the one they have today. And, of course, the Jets have announced that they're changing their uniforms after the 2018 season. So hold off on buying a Darnold jersey. Hold off on buying anybody's jersey until they unveil their new uniforms for next season. But, yeah, so I, I actually I ended up with, like, an old Kelly Green Keyshawn jersey, which was kind of ironic because I, was, I wasn't a big Keyshawn fan. I actually was a big Krebet guy, and I know they – had their difficulties. Although, I, as it turns out, it, you know, I didn't know this at the time. It's, it, I talked to, I remember I interviewed both of them back in 2010 within a few weeks of each other. And I asked them both, did the media overblow the uh, conflict between the two of you? And they, they both said yes. They both said that they actually respected each other. You know, they actually both went out there and really fought for each other and that the media totally overblew the conflict between the two. But I didn't know that at the time, so I actually was not a big Keyshawn guy, but I, I, oh, I did have his jersey. Then I had a Pennington jersey uh, a little while after that. I was a big Pennington fan. I, I really liked him. And then I had a Revis jersey um, later on and... There was one year my, my brother bought me a Brandon something for Brandon Marshall, although Marshall didn't last that long with the team. So that, that's what I've had um, as far as you know, apparel goes with the Jets. Next question. In reading about the Le'Veon Bell situation, I saw that Demarcus Lawrence did not reach a deal with Dallas and will also have to play under the franchise tag this year. Calvin Watkins was saying in an article in July that Lawrence was waiting for Mack and Aaron Donald to sign their deals and wanted something comparable to what they got, or at least more than what Danielle Hunter got in Minnesota. Would you call Dallas and try to trade for him? Do you think he would be worth a five-year deal, five deal close to what Mack got? 
After Wilkerson's deal, I'd be a little careful with it, and I'm not sure this guy is worth Mac money, but we're getting pretty desperate here. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind calling Dallas. I wouldn't trade two first-round picks for Lawrence. I mean, I just don't think two first-round I don't. I think if we're talking in the, the comp, range of compensation Mac got, I, I don't think I'd do it. And I'm skeptical Dallas would trade him unless it was the type of offer they couldn't refuse, the type of offer o- Oakland got for Mac. Just because the Dallas Cowboys don't seem like the type of team that really want to rebuild. I mean, the, the Cowboys seem like the type of team that want to go for it, so are they going to trade their best pass rusher? And I want to see what type of season Lawrence has. Is he going to throw up another 14, 15 tack type of year? Because if he does, and then hypothetically, if he hits the market in the offseason, then he's the type of guy who might be worth Mac money. He might be worth making him one of the top paid defensive players in the league. If he reverts a little bit. So I think the question is, you know, is he going to is is last year's performance the normal for him or was it a career year and he's going to drop back? Because it could be either. It really could be either. Some some guys take off and they sustain that level of play. Other guys have a career year and then they kind of fall back to earth. So I want to see, I kind of want to see with Lawrence which of the two it is. So, I, I, I mean, I, you look, you pick up the phone. I don't have a problem picking up the phone and calling him. My hunch, though, is that it's going to take more than the Jets are going to be willing to offer, or at least more than the Jets, sh- the Jets should be willing to offer to land Demarcus Lawrence. Because I just do not see Dallas as the type of team that's going to be willing to make a deal to trade their best pass rusher right as the season's starting. That's it for today. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you like the show, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, and leave the show a good review in iTunes. Hope you have a wonderful Thursday, enjoy the game tonight, and we'll be back again tomorrow.